Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Well, Ed, we're back with a second week of this top 10 of lessons learned from Hal Moore. I mean, last week I was I was really into it, and this week, I mean, we've we got five more to go after, uh, six through ten, and and then there's the questions to be considered. I mean, did you take anything from last week's the first five, and you just like, wow, I can't believe you know I or, or I, I love the fact that we talked about that. Yeah, so I really liked. Um, I took a lot from number three, the link that there's the fact that there is a link between self discipline and self confidence. So I t- I took a lot from that. Yes, and I think that this. Uh, Second episode, hopefully it's very successful. So if if you know anything about the Great How More, the first book that came out was We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And then there's a second book called We Are Still Soldiers. So hopefully this is as good as the second book of those two books was. Oh, yeah. So and, you know, it's funny because I, I have to agree with you. I think I don't think about number three as much. With that link between self-discipline and confidence. I don't think about it, but now that I, I am thinking about it because we talked about it, I'm like, wow, you know, that that is so correct. I'm going to try to help others learn that too. Yeah, absolutely. But really. But we can't we can't be fooling around, man. We've got to get right into this. So right off the bat, let's hit number six and you've got it. Here you go, man. All right. So we're at point number six, Brian. The proper place of reprimanding and recognition oh. there are several valuable pieces of advice on how to respond to problematic persons yes one piece of advice is not to escalate the confrontation too quickly so how Moore says when leaders are confronted with disciplinary problems be it willful disobedience negligence or honest mistakes they must resolve these problems at the lowest level before raising the issue to higher echelons if the problem can be fixed and remedy and a remedy instituted at the lower level, it will benefit your relationship with your subordinates, improve the health of the organization, and not divert higher level resources away from other priorities. Is this deja vu? Because I think we just we're just <laughs> talking about pretty much the same thing in number five, the need to empower others, right, Ryan? Um no, in the lowest yes. level, listen, because yeah, because Schmuggatelli is late to work, that doesn't need to go to the CEO of the company. You know what I mean? Like, I, you can handle it at your level because now we're taking away those valuable resources at every echelon to get to the CEO to raise it because, what, Schmuggatelli was late? No, this is one that I've always believed in. And, and handling it at the lowest level, now I do remember being a junior leader and being like, oh, you did this, 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 we're going to see first sergeant, like right away, you know? But through experience and and guidance from other leaders, I learned to, you know, handle it at a lower level, not immediately uh, escalate it. Matter of fact, if I get to the point where I feel like I have to escalate it to Brian as the first sergeant, I feel like I failed at that point because I feel like at some point I should have been able to figure it out before I got to him. You know, so what are your thoughts, Brian? I, I would I would partially agree with you, but on the other side, I'm going to say no, because there are certain problems that really need to be handled by a higher echelon. And and, and it could be, it's the more serious items. Right. Uh, I like to fall back on uh, an old saying 
that I was once told a long time ago. And it, it has helped guide me through this. And it's really short and sweet. Do what your rank can handle. That's exactly the guidance. <laughs> do what your rank can handle. If it's at your level rank, then you take care of it. But if it's something that the commander needs to be involved with, a higher commander needs to be involved right. with, yeah. um, let's, the, if the management team needs to be involved in a civilian entity, maybe the CEO, make sure it gets elevated to that level if it's that important. But, you know, I sometimes I think of when yeah. people bring problems, I literally think about, you remember that uh, Iverson some time back, and I've said it on here before, uh, when somebody was criticizing about practice and he, he literally sat there and said like a couple of times, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. It's more important than that. We're talking about practice. And he kept going on and on about it. And that's what I think of sometimes when somebody brings something to me that's like, that really they could have taken care of and I've never would have known about it. I think about, we're talking about practice. Are you kidding me? Like that doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Because there are things, you know, like for instance, unfortunately domestic violence is a thing. So like something like that. Yeah. I'm not saying cover it up by handling it at the lowest level. So yes, raise it to the appropriate level, but don't bring trivial stuff, you know, to that level. Like, if they're not paying their bills, I may be able to handle that. I can do a quick budget with them. We can go, you know, to some mm-hmm. of the many organizations. I don't need the first sergeant to tell me, hey, you know, hey, first sergeant, this guy's having problems paying his bills. Okay, go do a budget with him. Now I got to come back. Now you got to tell me, okay, now take him to see, you know, AR. Okay, I got to come back. So um, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. So you're you're right. There are things um, DUIs, things of that nature that have to come to your, your level. Yeah. But let's do appropriate level. I think that's better. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Ed, I think, I think when we talk about appropriate level too, is earlier, he basically, one of his quotes talked about, don't be afraid to ask for help. I also think that the appropriate level could be somebody within that same level rank or that same level position to ask advice from, because why not? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe my battle buddy there has dealt with this before. So maybe I want to ask them. A, now, obviously, it, you want to be careful about like some of the personal information you're right. giving out, but you can ask for advice. You know, I mean, because I guarantee not everybody knows that certain there's there's certain types of uh, agencies within the service that help you learn how to budget properly and stuff like that. You know, they they got rid of that stuff in high school classes a long time ago, and that's that kind of that's that to me is a sad fact that they need to bring stuff like that back so kids understand how to properly budget money and and take care of a checkbook and and understand that you can't uh try to live a wine lifestyle on a beer budget type situation you know i mean it's just but what's cool is is when you share that information back and forth from you and another battle buddy you learn from each other and and what really makes me happy when i notice people are doing that and they're actually helpful and they're not being condescending or negative in nature. Like, I can't believe you didn't know that, that type of situation. Cause to me, that just, that develops a, a nastiness that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I liked it. So when I first became a Sergeant, there was a lot of us at one time were becoming sergeants. So we had to cross talk a little bit and gain from each other's experiences because, you know, I was in a, I was working in a motor pool, so there was tons of sergeants, but it was like each one had something different. You know, this guy had the habitual late soldier. This guy, 
had the soldier who, when he was at work, would disappear. And so you cross-talk that and, and learn from each other. So, yeah, I, I got you on that one, Brian. Are you ready for the next little nugget? Almost. I just, I'll go ahead. I wanted to read this one little quote I see right here, man. It says, a leader should never tell an outfit that it's screwed up. If he does, then it will be screwed up. Why? Because the boss said so. I love that. I like. I live by those words actually, and it's funny that I I, I don't live those words live by those words because I heard Hal Moore somebody. I literally felt that way. Um, that's part of that whole recognition and reprimand thing. When I if I'm in front of a formation and I'm talking, I praise them on all the hard efforts they do. Mm-hmm. You don't stand there and tell. You don't tell the organization they're a bunch of worthless nobodies because when you do that, you have just created a toxic environment. So I want people to realize that I don't care who you are. If you think it's okay to sit in a boardroom and act like you can basically come down on everybody and make them out like they're they're worthless garbage, then I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care who you are. You're wrong for it. There's no need for that crap in any, in any type of business. It doesn't matter. You've got to build up the organization. That's the point of the leader. The leader is to drive through those negative parts by building them up. Allow them to have that uh, that that period of uh, moment where they have a little bit of self-talk or where their direct supervisors inform them that they're not meeting their mark. That's not the point for the leader to hit. So anyways, Ed, you're going to hit on the next part, right? Actually, Brian, that quote brings us into the next uh, the next point. And I was going to use the quote after it, but we'll get into it now. So the next point, how more makes is, <laughs> My and this is something we've heard throughout our careers too, both of us, I guarantee it. And I'm sure anybody else in an organization's probably heard this before. Uh, even my wife in AFES, I know my wife's heard this and she believes in this. Uh, praise in public, punish in private. As a leader, you should never resort to public humiliation when correcting a subordinate. It hurts unit cohesion, and you may never regain that subordinate's trust or respect. If you need to take someone to the woodshed, do it in private. So on this point here, public humiliation does a lot of things because then when that subordinate snaps back, right, they snap back at you and they're disrespectful. Now we want to roast them for being disrespectful after you humiliated them. And this is something I see out of a lot of brand new leaders, especially in certain uh, career fields within the military where they'll, they, Oh, I got stripes on my chest. So now I can humiliate people. But then when they immediately, as soon as that soldier says something they don't like, it's, Oh, you disrespected me, but we're not talking about the disrespect you created by humiliating them. So praise in public punish in private. When you Brian, have a soldier and they're going to receive UCMJ. Where, where, what's, what's the process look like? Where do you do it? What, what's the environment like? Well, they do have an option uh, when it comes to UCMJ. Uh, often the commander has to ask because that's who gives UCMJ. That's not, it's right. not the NCOs or anything. We can recommend something, but we can't give it. But they do have an option to have an open or a closed hearing. And, and, and with, within UCMJ, an open hearing means the door is open and anybody can stand there and listen. A closed hearing means the door is closed. So they have that option. And, and that's kind of nice that they can have that option. And to tell you the truth, Ed, I've never heard one person ever say open ever so far. And But then again, I've only been part of a few because I do have a stellar organization. Um, <laughs> but with that, 
I would definitely say that in that process, I think also they want it closed because it's just as humiliating to them to be punished as it, it would, you know, as anybody. So I, I truly believe that that's the right answer to, to make sure you do it in private. And Ed, this is a lesson that I learned the hard way, man. I really did. And I think it's, and you probably can relate to this. I think it was our early upbringing in the army that kind of set that tone. And over the past 21 years, things have changed and we're learning to develop things. But the crazy thing is Ed, we're talking how more we're talking 1965. We're talking even before that him coming up with these ideas of how things should go and following them. So it's not like it's a new concept. It's actually an older Mm -hmm. concept. It's just people get it. Yeah. And you know, we so often hear, Oh, the old army, but wait a minute, this is the old army. This is the old army that's saying, don't punish them in front of everybody (laughs) punish in private. You know what I mean? Like, now, I know a lot of people, especially back then, uh, when I came in in the 90s, a lot of people would be, uh, you would do some push-ups and it would be in front of people. And you still felt like, you know, you felt like garbage because you got in trouble and you were doing push-ups. But it wasn't, it was humiliating, but it wasn't, I guess. It's kind of weird because you knew the alternative was paperwork and, and you know, possibly losing money. So you kind of accepted that. But beyond that, like if, if, you know, if you had a problem with your finances, a lot of times your squad leader, your section star, and they're going to take you into their office and it's going to be more private and it's going to be, you know, maybe your your platoon leader and your NCO and, and you speaking. So, you know, but it, that's important for especially punished private because it can be humiliating. I mean, we make mistakes. It, we're humans. People make mistakes. I've made them. I'm sure you've made them. Yes. You know, uh, we've done things that we've been embarrassed about. So it's just a thing. Like it's better to take them away. But for me, again, the biggest thing for me is when you humiliate them, just be prepared that they're going to fire back most likely because it's a fight or flight thing. Right. Yeah. And now, you know, and I know the right answer is it's still this disrespect is disrespect is disrespect. But at the same time for me, when I'm done with that soldier, right? And they may get in trouble for the disrespect, but that leader is going to stay in the office with me and we're going to have a discussion as well about you humiliating them and causing that uh, so that they have that understanding moving forward. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, two wrongs never made a right. I've heard that a thousand times. Uh, two points to take from that is I, I truly believe what goes around comes around. That's one of those things. So absolutely remember if you're one of those people that tends to get after people in public someday, your time is coming. Um, The other point is I love the point you brought up about, let's say a soldier's having financial issues and we're just using soldier for right now. It could be any, he's having, he or she's having financial issues. You're not going to solve their problem by by making them do a thousand pushups. No, That, that solves nothing. All you did was, stronger. Instead, it's called mentorship. It's called leadership. It's called taking them and helping them understand where things are going wrong and how to get them right. And and that's the thing. We may have some leaders who don't understand how to do that, but that that's what the good thing is about with all the agencies we have to help us. We reach out and we ask for help. And 
And it's nothing wrong with a a leader going with their subordinate to a uh, uh, financial counseling. They can learn something and then take notes and take that back and teach other soldiers. That's that lifelong learning. So I definitely agree with you, man. Good point. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Uh, so then, you know, he has to counter. So we're, we really focused really right here on punishing in private. But then how more goes on to say, be sure that deserving men are decorated with the appropriate wards for valor or meritorious action. Fewer things will impact a team's morale than a leader who does not recognize their accomplishments and hard work. So this is how more Tom bought it. But I know for a fact, General Patton used to uh, visit troops and award troops on the spot. He used to carry around pockets full of medals. And, hmm. you know, at the Battle of the Bulge, he would pin a medal on a soldier's chest who's still in the fight. So these are the things. Um, now, again, extreme examples. But at the same time, what is wrong with, you know, we're in our our sections huddle you know, in our business, whatever we do, our, our component of the business, and we say, hey, you know, Brian did blah, 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 and it saved the company, you know, $10,000. So great job, Brian. Kudos to you. There's nothing wrong with that. It didn't kill me, nope. you know, to get that out there. But what's the impact on Brian? Some pride. Yep. Some desire to do it again. You know what I mean? So very important praise them in public tell them they did a good job just like you said with your formations is is uh your unit perfect probably not i'm sure there's shortfalls every unit has shortfalls but do they work hard yeah the majority you know for the onesies twosies who are discipline problems there's 200 more that are not and work hard so let's tell them they work hard i agree one of the things my unit does is they actually do a NCO of the week and a soldier of the week on our Facebook page when we're helping units to get into the European theater and they go out to these locations all over Europe and they'll do a little quick interview, getting to know private, da da da, uh, private Schmuggatelli is from da, and this is what he does for the organization and they'll have the soldier on there. And you know, those things, those, that praise is important, Brian. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more, man. And, but I also want to, uh, I would want to frame in the light, it's good to praise in public, but also we have to be careful to not over inflate awards. And, and, I, and it could be, it could be uh, you know, whether it be in putting in a unit award for someone or how we praise it, because we could also over inflate and then we create an ego problem, or we also create um, expectations that it's, how do I say this? Um, it kind of makes me think about uh, participation trophies. I, uh, I, just, I don't agree with those. Um, I never have. Uh, but at the same time, yes, I understand. People need to, to receive uh, praise for what they do. But we don't overinflate that because now what we're doing is we're, we're kind of putting them on too high of a pedestal. And when they get knocked off, they're going to fall really, really hard. Um, so it's to me, it's a little bit weird. Um and then your comment about your your uh, NCO of the month type thing, I have to say, and I'm gonna I'm put it, I'm gonna put it out there because I'm proud. I'm a proud dad. Uh, just the other day, a couple of days ago, Michelle told me that Eva, my daughter, my youngest, is going to receive student of the month for her in her school, and it was because I quote because she is so nice and helpful to all the other students around her. And I was just like, man, that's just that's awesome. Like. 
I, I can't wait to, you know, they're going to do a ceremony sometime next week and Michelle's going to take pictures, but it kind of makes me happy. Stuff like that. Like if, if a soldier is being helpful to other soldiers or an employee is doing something to help another employee, recognize them for that because they deserve it. Just don't overinflate things too far. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other thing, so, you know, uh, you got to be careful. It's not the same person too, right? So if we're praising the same person, we're praising the same person. Now we're given a perception of possible favoritism. So you got to be uh, careful. And, and like you said, I'm not praising for every little thing. Oh, hey, everybody, Specialist Anderson put away this many parts today. Good job, Anderson. And then the next day, hey, Specialist Anderson swept the floor. Like that's not, that's that's ineffective. You're taking away the um you know the desired outcome from that praise because it's just everybody knows every day and believe me subordinates pick up quickly that every day he's gonna thank somebody no but there's nothing wrong and i you know in the military we do a lot of stuff on friday afternoons at formation but i i don't see a problem with um you know on a wednesday morning at pt say hey you know last week Brian did this, this, and this, and uh, good job, Brian. Or, you know, even a team. Hey, the S1 team did their job. Hey, good job. Well, all right, a little more than their job, but you don't want to praise them for just doing their job, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, praise the whole team, you know. Yes. Uh, we do little competitions. We did a NCO or a soul, a NCO dining, uh, tactical dining competition. It was like a, you went to the field and face paint and you, you had a meal out there, but there were some little competitions and uh, the G2 won it. And then they got brought up in front of formation at PT and they were, had medals hung around their neck. Like there's, that's awesome. That's mm -hmm. uh, something I had never seen. First of all, I didn't know what a tactical dining in was cause I had never seen it before, but it was a great thing. And that team had some pride in, in doing that. Yeah. I, I totally, I'm going to pick your brain on that. Cause I, I would like to learn more about a tactical dining in. Uh, <laughs> let's get to that question to consider, Ed. I'll get you. I'll get you to con up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the question to consider is: Do I shine the light enough on team members who accomplish goals? Ooh. Do I shine in the, the light enough on team members who accomplish goals? That, that's the. There's the key word. That's the key word right there, Ed. That's what helps people know how to shine that light, who accomplish goals. It's not yep. accomplish their daily job, but they accomplish goals. That's a good point to make. And as leaders, we learn about these goals by getting to know them. And we learn about it through, you know, maybe whatever, our evaluations, our our performance reviews. These are opportunities. But, oh, what are some goals you have for yourself? And now we understand those in order to understand when to shine the light on them for accomplishing them. Exactly, man. Exactly. All right. So we're going to, we're going to continue on. Here we go. Taking responsibility. Mm. One is struck by more immense sense of responsibility, <laughs> man, responsibility. I think I said something not too long ago about accountability of a responsibility, but here's what more has to say. Every person's dignity must always be respected. I feel that if anyone under me fails, the fault is at least half mine. Is that not extreme ownership, Ed? Well, ish, because I think extreme ownership, he wants you to take, figure out how you can take all the blame, but it is taking ownership, though. I will give you that. Yes. 
I love that one. So let's continue on though, because there's a little bit more to this. For more, is impossible for a leader to escape ownership when things go wrong. On those occasions when one of my people did not perform as expected, I found that in many cases, at least half the fault was my own. I had either not put out clear, clean instructions, or I had not trained that person sufficiently, or I had given him a task with little or no possibility of accomplishment. I like how, you know, Ed, I like how he broke that up into three different areas of what, how it could be his fault, right? Um, we talk, we've, we've both read through extreme ownership and we understand the idea behind it. But what Hal did here is he said it could have been one of these things. And I really think that that, that helps a leader understand about taking ownership right there. What he, he says, either not put out clear, clean instruction. That's one. I had not trained that person. That's two. I had given them a task with little or no possibility of accomplish. That's three. So what I did is I broke it down into three different areas that I could have been, I could have failed that individual on. And what that then, Ed, what that turned to me, you turn that around and you say, okay, of those three, what are courses of action that I could have fixed any of those three or all of those three? Yeah, but you know what, though, Brian, so as I'm reading through those three, it really, those are really extreme ownership. And so my difficulty, I can't believe I'm questioning the great how more is I don't see where it's half. Because if I give bad guidance, clear, I don't give clear, clean instructions, then anything after that is my fault. You know what I mean? I'm 100% at fault for that. I'm an NCO. We're responsible for training the soldiers, right? So if I don't train them and I know that I didn't train them sufficiently, then that's 100% my fault again because I created that that environment. And then the same thing, if I don't give them a task, if I give them a task with little or no possibility of accomplishment, okay, that one I'll give them about 75%. I won't give them 100% because it says little or no possibility. So there's little, there is a chance. But, um, yeah, so I see some extreme ownership there myself. Maybe I'm just uh, – Maybe I'm just indoctrinated to uh, Jocko. I think you're right. I really do. I, I think. I think uh, he. I think if he could go back, I think he, if that was talked about in a conversation, he could actually help us understand why he said half. Because you know how more. I mean, come on. I mean, he's not the perfect leader, but he's darn close, man. He's really good at what he did, and and those around him knew it. So I I have to agree with you, man. Like every one of those comments points directly to extreme ownership and taking 100% of the fault. Yeah, it does. I I mean, like I said, the last one, maybe I could see a little bit, but yeah, there's no, I can't think of an example of the first two where if I did those things, I'm not at fault. But I mean, and again, it was a different era too. Like we're talking about Vietnam, post-Vietnam, you know, so we are talking about a little bit different thought process, a little different era as well. So I can kind of see his point from that angle. So the question to consider then here, Ed, here's where it is. Am I willing to take ownership of problems or do I tend to shift responsibility or blame to someone else? I, I can't stress mm. this enough. <laughs> People have to listen to what they're saying when they're saying it. It is like, it is mind boggling. I, I guarantee you, I go, I probably deal with this at least once a week at a minimum once a week where somebody wants to blame someone. I mean, I just sat on the phone a few nights back and somebody was trying to say why all these problems 
why this and this didn't get done because such and such didn't do this. And now they had to work here and this. And it was just like my mind, I was literally wanting to like, I felt like my brain was going to blow up because I'm like, take ownership of something, please. You know? Yeah, no, I, so I have one of my captains. I just, I'm just joking around with him, of course, but you know, he, he doesn't get on the access roster. We were going to visit the Polish and he doesn't get on the access roster and he starts playing a blame game. And I said, uh, hey, sir, we stopped fighting with Shields many years ago. So could you stop deflecting? Like, <laughs> what is your, you know, any, any, so, but the guy that I'm going to be replacing said, it's my fault. But at the same time, the, the captain never called and said, hey, did you get me on the access roster to verify? So, you know, we're, we're taught to, uh, what is it? Uh, inspect, not expect. So, it is some of his fault, but at least the guy I'm going to be replacing said, no, it's my fault. I submitted the roster. I knew he was supposed to be on it, and I forgot to put him on there. So that's extreme ownership. But, yeah, I just wanted to get that little humor in there about the shield that I told him because he thought it was pretty great, too. Mm-hmm. I kind of like what you said there, inspect, not expect. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's expectation with inspecting. Ooh. You know, you have to do both. Interesting. So if I if I explain my expectations... And then I, was that check, uh, trust, but verify. Yep. So that's the inspect. Yeah. So that's, yeah, definitely. You ready to hit that next one, brother? Oh yeah. You know, I am because it's my guys in here, but <laughs> so we're talking about the importance of, oh, this is perfect, man. We've, this is number eight is all about, uh, our little quirky thing that we do. We put in the show every episode, the importance of learning and listening. Mm-hmm. Moore made no secret of the fact that he understood a leader to be someone who is committed to learning. He writes, I've, this quote has been on the show now three times. <laughs> he writes, to be a leader, you must be willing to be a lifelong learner. The leader, leaders who fail are those who think they know everything or that they have nothing left to learn. They resent having to learn something new or adapt to a new situation. So, so this one's we've we've talked about this a lot on this show. And and I mean, I've been in the in the boat where it's like you gotta learn something new and you're adapting to a new situation. It is a challenge that you have to accept. And there are leaders out there that just don't want to do that. They don't want to change. They don't want to accept. You know, you talk about instituting this new army combat fitness test. Mm-hmm. There's leaders that don't want to adapt to that. It was the same thing when we went to physical readiness training. Leaders did not want to let go of the old uh, army PT to to change. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, what, what do you think about this here quote, Brian? Ed, I w- I want to admit something. I'm going to do it right here publicly. Um, I I embrace the lifelong learning because we talk about it all the time. But at the same time, I catch myself sometimes. Sometimes in the act or after where I'm not accepting uh, learning something from somebody that's new uh, and falling into that stubborn mindset of, well, I know what's best or I've done this before. You know what I mean? I've caught myself doing it. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but yeah. And I like to tell you, when I catch myself in the middle of the act, I will stop myself right there and say, no, I'm sorry. Let me hear what you have to say because you probably <laughs> can come up with something better than I. And and, and to, to kind of help boost their confidence also and to put myself in check. Um, and that's that's part of that ego. 
because right there, that whole that whole sentence about lifelong learning, that's about ego, man. That's the way I see it. Jocko talks about yeah. it, man. So what yeah. do we got here? Yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, this is this is what I've been waiting for. Talk is cheap, but more <laughs> more emulated the life of a learner by spending hours and hours in a library. He drew inspiration from old blood and guts Patton. <laughs> Moore says before Vietnam, I had read a lot of military history and was deeply impressed by the leadership of Field Marshal Irvin Rommel and General George S. Patton Jr. Their style emphasized four bedrock principles, surprise, aggressiveness, deception, and the leader's personal presence in the battle. They were very helpful to me on the battlefields of Vietnam. Here we go, Brian. So we're talking about one, uh, a person who was a headache for us during World War II, Field Marshal Irvin Rommel. And then we're talking about the great General Patton, right? But the, it's the principles. So as a leader, we're talking about uh, surprise, aggressiveness, deception, and their personal presence in the battle. And this is where these leadership lessons come in. I mean, we've talked, how many times have we talked about presence, uh, yes. being there, being lead from the front just today. We've already talked about it. You know, uh, just talk, we've talked about it on, on the episodes for, uh, how more we've talked about how important it is to be present as a leader, Brian. And then I, the other one of those four principles that I really like is the, uh, the aggressiveness. So to me, an aggressive leader is a leader who's, that we go back, not afraid to make decisions, not afraid to deal with the consequences of said decisions. That's aggressive as a leader to me. That's someone uh, we're not talking about aggressive. Like, unfortunately with general Patton smacking people in the head, uh, we're not talking about that aggressiveness though, but for him, what he's talking about, you know, when they, when, when these two great general plan, they plan based off a of surprise, uh, they were ag always aggressive, you know, with their movements of their armor and they're both armor commanders, which is also just a little bit of irony, but you know, uh, deception, George Patton, he, he led a, um, uh, he led a unit of balloons during D-Day cause the general or, uh, the Germans just knew wherever Patton was, that's where the evasion was coming from. Mm -hmm. So they put Patton with a bunch of balloons and they think Patton's coming from there. And then the Americans came or the allies came from another direction. So, these are just a few of the things, uh, again, and these gentlemen are always there, always there. And they studied each other, which is also funny. Uh, Patton read Rommel's book on infantry uh, tactics and Rommel likewise read books by, you know, by Patton to study, to get to know their enemy because they were pitted against each other on multiple occasions. So, wow. I, I like to how more studied these great leaders. I do too. Uh, so two things I take of this one I don't see anything about him studying George Washington. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if he ever did. But the other more important part is he talks about those four bedrock principles. I truly believe somebody can use those four bedrock principles on the battlefield of life, just in general. See, so yes. let's say uh, let's say somebody's uh, part of a marketing team or marketing firm. Okay. They could use surprise, aggressiveness, deception, and leaders personal presence on that battlefield oh, yeah. for whatever organization you're setting up a PR for. I mean, you think about that. So if I surprise the enemy being my competition with a whole new scheme of how we're going to uh, push the message, 
and then I'm aggressive with it and I'm a bit deceptive in a sense, but then I put the leader of the organization out front so everyone can see them. That, to me, that's a win-win situation all day long. So yeah, I, I like the idea of that you could take those four bedrock principles and you can actually, you can develop those in just personal life, into any type of business. It doesn't have to be just war. Yeah, no. And I believe if I'm the the person who has that marketing team, Brian, I want you to be aggressive. I want you to come up with something that the competition wouldn't expect. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I can see where that is. That's a hundred percent, you know, accurate. I agree with you, Brian, on that one. Yes. All right. So what else does, uh, what else does the great Hal Moore have to say about learning and, and listening, which I also think is very important. He says, learning does not only occur by reading. One can even learn from the bad and the ugly throughout your life. You will probably serve under more bad leaders than good leaders. The irony, however, is that you can learn as much from a bad leader as you can from a good leader. Toxic leaders will set a perfect example of what not to be. Another thing we've talked about in this show. I told you I had to start first class that would yell and scream at us. And just because we were privates or specialists, you know, he felt like he had that authority to talk to us however he wanted. And I knew at that moment I was never going to be that leader based off of the example he set. Uh, We talked about absentee leader Mm -hmm. earlier. I worked for an absentee leader. That's another thing I would never, ever be like when people have to say, hey, where is such and such every single day? Like, that's not what I want. That's not the reputation I want. That's not what I want to be known for. Um, So, yeah, I, I can agree with this now. Serve under more bad leaders than good leaders. I don't know. I'd have to sit down and really think and see if that pans out for me in my career. What are your thoughts, Brian? See, I think it depends upon the person too, because people can be influenced. I mean, this is the instinctive influencer show, so might as well bring it in and talk about it. But people can be influenced sometimes too by those bad leaders uh, to follow in their footsteps, so to speak. And you start picking up bad habits. And I say this because early in my career, I was learning bad habits from people that were bad leaders. And then as I've grown, I followed my gut, as he spoke earlier, and realized that's not how people should be treated, or that's not how I should talk to people, or that's not how I should punish someone. Over time, I started realizing this thing, and I learned from it, but not everybody does. I think that's how bad leaders continue to be bad leaders, is they learned it, and they were influenced, and they think that's the only way, and they stay that way. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the the learned behaviors of bad leaders, I think it does transfer over and create future bad leaders as well. I'm hopeful that it uh, makes bad leaders or makes good leaders out of those, you know, those, those lessons instead more frequently. But yeah, I know for a fact that there are bad leaders who learn to be bad leaders from other bad leaders. All right. So how more also says, I like to do a lot of listening. That way I pick up a lot of good ideas, many from subordinates. When you listen, you know twice as much as the other guy, what he knows and what you know. Man, how many times has that one came up as well? What? I feel like I've learned a lot from this guy. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, just remember, we said, close your mouth and open your ears. Yeah. Hey, do, do you, did you see that picture I sent you yesterday, Ed? I sent you a picture and I said, this is on my gym bag. I did see it. Uh, I don't remember what it said, but I did see the picture. 
Yeah, it was. It's a patch that can go on any 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 pair of Velcro, but it literally says, and I can, it's sitting right here in front of me. It says, "Shut up, listen, and perform." I feel like that's self talk. <laughs> like I want to tell myself oftentimes to shut up, listen, and then perform because I think sometimes when we are the leader, we think we have to talk or we have to make comments and stuff. And instead, it's best to just kind of sit back and soak it in. Now, that doesn't mean that you can allow the wrong thing to happen. But at the same time, you have to know that what you're talking about when you make your comments is the right thing to say. Yeah. And, you know, I've said before with listening, if you listen to somebody, so we talked about, you know, praise, uh, praise in public, right? And in private, that's when we're going to to talk about bad things. Um, but in those private conversations, if you just close your mouth as a leader and listen, a lot of times your subordinate will give you uh, information that they probably didn't intend on giving you, but it's because they've gotten so comfortable and you're listening and, and all they've ever wanted was just at that moment, somebody to listen to their their issue. So once you close your your mouth and open your ears, it's a good chance that you're going to find out a lot of information that may prove valuable and handling that problem at the lower level. Like we talked about, you know, it's funny that you say that. Um, so sometimes what I like to do is, so my, my orderly room or in my training room area, I have uh, quite a few people that work in there. Plus people are always coming and going. And then there's a little couch in there, like at the entry kind of like for people to wait and whatnot. And I'll sit on that couch and never fails. I cannot sit there longer than two minutes without somebody asking me a question. And normally it's more like a, I wouldn't say a personal question, but it's more, it's just, you can tell that they're, they just feel uncomfortable and they want to talk to you. So they ask you a question and I like to, I like to turn those questions around and deflect them to somebody else in the room. For instance, if somebody says, Hey, so uh, I like those boots you got on. You like those? And then I'll, Maybe I'll look at somebody else and I'll be like, well, do you like your boots? What do you think? And I, I like to, and, and I'm, that's just an example. That's not actually what's said, but I like to see where the the, uh, the conversation goes. It's always so funny because it's, as an old NCO once used to say, they just run off at the neck about anything. Yeah, and that's pretty much the point I'm making is if you just give them, a, give them enough, they will. They'll just run off and you're like, yep. oh, uh I, in fact, I remember when I was a junior, I remember the moment I realized that I did it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's valuable though. Yeah. That listening is a valuable tool. Yeah. I try to, now I try to do it when I have senior people around me. I just, I just sit there and be real quiet. I don't say anything and I, it's, it works on anybody. No one likes that, that awkward silence. Yeah. So they feel like they got to open their mouth to, to fill in that silence and they open their mouth and they just burn out information yep. and. Brian is sitting there with his ears waiting to listen to it all. I get it. No, I agree. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the question we got here, my man? So the question for our audience to consider is, do I think other people will consider me a good listener? And we've done an episode where we talked about some of the things for a good listener and some of the habits for good listeners. We've, we've discussed throughout like uh, multiple episodes because listening is so important as a uh, leader and influencer. So that's a good one there. Do I think other people would consider me a good listener? Mm, yes. Maybe. No. 
<laughs> never know never know the answer to that one so oh man so what's next brian we're at where were we at number nine are we at nine already yeah well yes we are and number nine is introspection and initiative i always like that second one initiative. initiatives oh. i like the second one too yeah <laughs> it always makes me happy when i see juniors having initiative all right so here we go all of us engage in self-talk. Absolutely. That is completely true. Uh, <laughs> but according to Moore, a leader's self-talk is much more self-aware. A leader must create time to detach himself mentally and ask, what am I doing that I should not be doing? And what am I doing that I should be doing to influence the situation in my favor? Whew. Okay. That's a lot, man. You're just asking yourself two questions. And if I asked myself those two questions done the daily, I probably would take a lot of time to think about them. So, um, but I think, it, I think he's right. And maybe that's something that people should start doing is just think about those two questions. Um, and so much can come from those questions too, right? Uh, you can, you can actually, you know, we talk about crowding our calendar, Ed, right? And I think mm-hmm. those questions could be asked with the crowding your calendar. Maybe you're crowding your calendar with menial tasks that could be given to other people. That's that whole, I should not be doing. That's just my idea behind yeah. it, giving it to others. And then putting on important information or important tasks that need to be taken care of by you yourself, which are, which would be things I should be doing. That's like, that's my kind of take on it. What do you think? I think that these would be uh, good questions for, for me, because I do the meditation thing. I think even one of these would be a good question. Like you could do one a day to just consider while you're sitting quietly in a room or a sauna, wherever, wherever your, your cup of tea is as far as meditating. But this would be interesting to explore from in, in that kind of mindset, like a nice quiet environment. So I, I and I can see the value, like, you know, like you said, I really think that what am I doing that I should not be doing is crucial, especially if you're, you're, I mean, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if our listener is feeling overwhelmed, like you just cannot get ahead at work and you're just always go, 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 go. Maybe you should take a couple minutes to sit down and think about mm-hmm. everything I, I personally do. Is it necessary or is it something I would be able to pass down? Uh, to somebody else in the organization, a subordinate that they could be doing. And that's a good way to free up some time. So you're not feeling overwhelmed. So you're not working late and taking time away from your family and your loved ones. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that really, and that really just came to me as I was reading, um, reading it, thinking about how to respond to you, Brian, just now, it really just, yeah, that, that it really resonated with me that that's a good thing. If you feel overwhelmed listeners, that's a good question to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on top of that, I think um, that could be a good question to pose. Let's just say if it's a, a young NCO who is counseling a soldier, they don't have to give mm. them the answer there, but they can ask that question and they can tell them, hey, listen, I need you to think about these questions uh, to help further your career. And if the soldier has enough introspective and initiative they're going to come up with an answer and you're going to see a developmental change. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, you know, yeah, that's excellent. You know, it's real funny, Ed. This is crazy. I'm sitting here and we're talking back and forth. And then all of a sudden I get a little ding and the little ding is my Facebook going off. 
And then I look at it and there's a question from your spouse. And she asked this question and I can't wait. It's, it's definitely important. Put it that way. Uh, we're probably already going to talk about it though oh, on man. episode 50. Yeah. So very nice. All right. So here we go. The intention of introspection is thus do drive initiative. There's always one more thing you can do to influence any situation in your favor. And after that, there's one more thing. And after that, there's one more thing. And after that, one more thing. The more one more things you do, the better your chances are for achieving success in any situation. I think that is a great statement, Ed, for anybody who is trying to get promoted in whatever organization they're a part of, by far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This really plays well for promotion. I can see that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do. Like, yeah, you could be working at Amazon. You could be working at, uh, you could be working, um, in the fire department. I don't know. There's so many different places you could, you could, you could actually throw that particular comment towards and it will help anyone become a little bit better and possibly get promotion because of they're constantly looking at the one more things. If you look at the picture in the article, right? It's how more. Yes. And it looks like a foxhole. Uh, well, it's a soldier. All right. No, it's not. I thought it was a foxhole. I zoomed in. But it did make me think. So here's why, here's why I said foxhole. Because this is basically you constantly striving to improve your foxhole. This is you trying to make your mm. situation better. You know what I mean? Always. That's all this is really saying. There's one more thing you can do to influence any situation in your favor. So you're always, what's the next thing? What else can I do? What else can I do? Yes. So it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that, that brought that comment up. You said about improving the foxhole for those of you out there who don't know. So the foxhole is an, is a, a, a longstanding fighting position that's built by soldiers for them to fight out of. And you constantly want to be improving it all the time. You want to, you know, you want it deep enough to where you're, you got enough cover concealment. You, you want to make sure at some point that you're getting some type of overhead cover, you know, to protect you from anything coming down at you. You want to make sure that it's uh, camouflaged enough so that the enemy can't see you. So you're always building to it to make it that much better. It's, it's never yeah. good enough. And in, in that sense, when we say improve your foxhole, well, what is your fighting position? What is it that you're in the battle of that you're trying to achieve greatness and how are you making it that much better so you can reach that greatness? That's kind of how I look at it as a metaphor in life. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a uh, excellent point too, bro. I think it's really a good way to drive home the point and bring the foxhole, like uh, what's your individual foxhole, you know, it could be whatever your organization you say, you're, you say frequently always leave an organization better than you found it. Well, it's the same thing with the foxhole, yeah. right? Like if I'm constantly improving it, I'm making that foxhole better than what it was on day one. So whatever your, wherever wherever you work or whatever you your function is within that organization, what's the one more thing you can do to make that organization better? Well, then what's another thing you can do and another? So, yeah, I, I think that uh, that that analogy really makes sense, Brian. Oh yeah, definitely, man. And you know, you kind of, you kind of got my, my, my gears turned a little bit there too. When I also say like, well, what can you do to make the organization better? I don't always mean 
flipping it up upside down on its head and completely changing things because, you know, the foxhole is the foxhole. It's a fighting position. How are we making that particular fight? We're not going to, oh, well, that one's not good enough. All right, cover that one up and go dig another one over there. That's, that is not exactly what we mean by making the organization better than what you received it. What it means is somebody has already made something here. How can you improve upon that something instead of erasing that something and moving on to something different? Now, there could be particular procedures or operations that take place that just don't work out and never worked out. Well, now it's time to go back to the drawing board. But yeah, we have to we have to be cognizant also that you don't want to completely change everything. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, you know, and I have been like uh, you may go to the field and there's already you can see the intention from where there once was a foxhole. So you're going to occupy what somebody else already started and you're just going to, you know, try to figure out what you can do. What 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 positive impact can you make on that foxhole or your organization? So, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Definitely not a picture of a foxhole here on the article, though. No, that's not. <laughs> Should clean my glasses. Yeah. All right. So initiative is defined <laughs> as the ability to be a self-starter, to act in the absence of orders, more emphatically states. Good leaders don't wait for official permission to try out a new idea. Oh, man, Ed, I've been living by a certain statement almost my entire career. (laughs) And that statement goes as such. I'd rather beg for forgiveness than ask permission. Hey, I've heard that once or 10 times. I've heard that myself. I, but it makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah, it does. But it does in certain, in certain instances because, once again, I'll also follow up that statement with do what your rank can handle. Yes. But, you know, so for me, Brian, this statement right here is self-starter. So self-starter is one of the things that makes hiring soldiers appealing in the civilian sector because – they they realize that most likely that those soldiers are self-starters because sometimes we are, you know, uh, you, you talked about initiative, right? We're taught to take initiative early on as leaders. So that's something that, you know, most people assume we have, and I'm not saying all soldiers have it, but it is a selling factor for you as a soldier when you it's time to separate from the military is that ability to be a self-starter. Because I can put you over here in this cubicle and say, hey, I need these things done. I can walk away and you're going to get right after. You're not going to wait for me to come back and be like, all right, now to do this. So I think the self-starter, I I like that term. Mm -hmm. I agree, man. I definitely agree. Uh, So here's a question to consider, though. What one more thing can I do to improve this situation? So think about that, y'all. Let's move on. Let's get this last one out of the way here. Not really out of the way. Let's learn something from it. How about that? I know. I can't believe we're at number 10 already. This is, I've enjoyed uh, going through these 10 lessons from the great first cavalry soldier, first cavalry trooper, Hal Moore. Uh, So the 10th one, what goes up must come down. I have tremendous appreciation for Moore's take on loyalty. So many leaders today demand loyalty to to the top core, but we are quick to turn on our followers. If things turn sour, we feel we can cut our losses. We never realize that we are supposed to return the loyalty favor. Yeah, this is going to be good. So how Moore says. Hey, real quick, Ed, does that not sound like something we've heard from Simon Sinek also? 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I feel like Simon Sinek has a lot of stuff that I could uh, marry up with Mr. Moore's ideas as well. So, And that's good. That's Absolutely. great. That's why we like reading the Simon Sinek books. Uh, so Mr. Moore that goes on it. to say, or I'm sorry, Colonel Moore goes on to say, the best leaders strive to create a family environment within their organization. Yes. A good leader aims to make his subordinates feel that they are valued members of a team. The same loyalty that goes up the chain of command must also go down the chain of command and across the network of subordinates. The highly functioning subordinates are the ones who feel that the leadership is fair and that the team and that their teammates have their back. So this is the family environment thing is really key. Uh, one of the things that I really like within the organization I'm in now is that we do uh, we do fellowship lunches. We call them fellowship lunches, but we do them once a month where we pick a restaurant, we throw a flyer up and everybody is invited. Now, if you have meetings or something, you know, so you they, they can't attend, but we get a different cast each time. You don't get the same, but it's all within our little 15 person section. Uh, you may get five this time. You may get a different five next month, but it builds that, that, camaraderie it builds that family uh environment and then every like two or three months we'll do our own because our organization is so big so they don't have an official hail and farewell which is basically saying hey welcome to the organization for new people and then a farewell is basically sending off people who are leaving the organization just so our listeners understand what they are but so we do our own hail and farewells and that's our opportunity we bring our spouses out our children out you know, we go to like the bowling alley or something. And again, that's another way to build that family, uh, family environment that, that or within the organization that I think is critical. I think it's one of the most important pillars in the organization is that comfort within, uh, each other to feel like it's a family because then we talked about brother being a band of brothers and sisters, uh, on earlier episodes, that's where that comes from in, in my mind, Brian. Oh yeah, man. You, I mean, you, you're definitely uh, hitting the nail on the head there. And I think what that also does allows you to get away from that work environment to create that unity. Um, because sometimes, sometimes you're so involved at work at work that you never really, you don't get the opportunity to just chit chat and, and enjoy somebody's company. But when you get to get away together like that, like what you're saying to me, like we, uh, we've done the thing like, so here, um, at, at Humphreys that you can go to the bowling center and during lunch, if you buy lunch, you get free bowling during lunch. You just have to pay the $2 mm -hmm. for the shoes. Well, we've done that before. And I'm telling you, that's just awesome. Um, also when I showed up here, uh, there was a, uh, one of our supply sergeants and the people that worked in the build I'm at now, every Thursday they would order, they would put their money together and order pizza and they'd all eat pizza together in our, in our company classroom every Thursday. And it was just like, it was a, a normal thing that everybody participated in. And I think it really created that family environment. And it didn't matter. Like if somebody was mad at somebody that day or the day before or whatever, they still got together and did it. And I think that that builds upon that unity. Yeah, I think it does too. And the, the interesting thing here about the how more quote too is I like the, how he talks about how the subordinates uh, are the ones that feel that the leadership is fair and their teammate their teammates have their back. So you talked about the bowling. 
we used to do, uh, when I was at Fort Hood, we used to go to lunch for bowling, and it would be all the kind of Sergeant E5s and below. It wasn't really the seniors so much. But then um, we were getting ready to deploy, and probably about, you know, for about two, three months leading up to the deployment, every Saturday, the entire maintenance platoon, I'm talking like sometimes you'd have 30 dudes out there, or mostly dudes, but 30 people out there and we would go play basketball every Saturday. So now we're talking about off duty time too, which is really key in the military because a lot of people don't want to do stuff off duty, but we used to go as a platoon to play basketball and, and you build that teamwork through sport and that competition. And then that creates that feeling that my teammates have my back. I thought that that was one, that deployment I thought was probably one of the close, most close knit platoons I've ever been a part of. Uh, was on that deployment. It's just awesome, man. What else we got here that we're going to learn from old Colonel Moore? Yeah. Uh, so this is another one that we're, we're in, you know, this is put right in our brains from the, from the very beginning as, as soldiers. Put the welfare of your troops above your own. And then we're going to go with something that Simon Sinek has also said. They eat before you eat. They sleep before you sleep. Yes. The sleep one I've never been a fan of because, you know, I like to sleep, but I do get the idea behind it, you know, and I've talked about, I talked about previous episodes, man. We, when we went to Chow in the motor pool, when I was in the engineers, we lined up by rank. The last person to eat was going to be that lieutenant, unfortunately for her, but we lined up by rank. We all went together. There's the family thing again. Now, in that time, my platoon of uh, the motor pool is like 14 of us, I think, 15. But we all ate together and we ate in order of rank. So, I mean, if you were the lowest private, you were happy because you got to eat first. But th this is important, the welfare of your troops, because that's building that genuine connection, too, that's showing you care that we've talked about so many times on the instinctive influencers. Uh, and, and that's cru uh, crucial is, is for them to know that you the leader care about their welfare. I don't know. The way I see it too, you think about that whole, if you're, you're setting a small example there when that whole eat before they eat type thing, they see that. I mean, they really, especially, mm -hmm. especially Ed, I'm telling you when you're standing there by the line and you're just, you're just greeting them. And every time, like every three or four people, they try to get you going. For, I, the reason I say this is because I've done it before where they try to get me, oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I'm like, no, you guys eat first. You guys deserve this more. Yeah. And, and you just, yeah. those small instances, they notice that stuff. And it helps with that leadership capital that we've talked about multiple times. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've had, have I had some crappy meals in the field? Yes. <laughs> have I, have I had some terrible MREs? Cause I let the juniors pick first out the box. Yes. Oh, yeah. Was it worth it? Absolutely worth it. Yeah. I, I mean, now in the nineties, when I, when I was a private, you got the last MRE in the box. You didn't get to pick first, but nowadays, you know, things have changed. It's a different generation, uh, but it's worth the, the it's worth the, the feeling that the soldier gets, you know, that small thing, the small thing is opening a box and then telling the lowest private, Hey, pick what you want first. Like that's a win for them. And they're like, wow, wait a minute. You know, so that mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah. And then this next, this next quote you're about to read, man, like if there's anything I've, I've kind of like tailored my career around, it is definitely uh, the very end of this quote you're about to read. 
Yes. Colonel Moore says, most importantly, a leader proves himself by demonstrating his concern for and relationship with the people under him. The old adage, take care of your people and they will take care of you. All right. You can't tell me how that doesn't apply to military and business. That absolutely take care of your people and they will take care of you. 100%. What do you think, Brian? All day long. I, I'm if if you're looking out for their well-being on anything and you're constantly focused on who, them and what needs to be taken care of, they will they will make sure that the missions and tasks are taken care of. Now that doesn't now I don't want people to confuse that. I don't want to think that oh, if I just take care of them, they'll automatically take care of everything. They're they're not going to know what tasks are are needed to be done sometimes. They're not you 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 still have to kind of you have to kind of help generate that a little bit, but when they notice that you are making sure that everything about their well-being is taken care of, they are always going to put you and your and the mission going on first. But let that be somebody who's negative or somebody who's uh, very toxic in nature, who's uh, just somebody that puts themselves before everyone else. You can watch very quickly how there will be a cancer within that organization and Things will get dropped. Mm-hmm. Things won't get done. And at some point, I'm telling you, I've, I've seen people do it before where people literally quit until that person is fired. I, but they do it in, in, a, in, a, in a manner that's not noticed that they're quitting. It's just they're starting to feel that, you know, quit. In surprisingly, in the military, I've actually seen that. Uh, I was in, in the motor pool. It was like when I first came back in the military, 2002. And we were at the National Training Center, and they had a mechanic, and he was, like, toxic. He was a senior mechanic, staff sergeant. He was very toxic. And one day, the we were very small. We were a medic company, and we just had, like, you know, four mechanics. Then mechanics, three of them, put their toolboxes on the back of the truck and refused to work. The fourth one didn't because he was new and he didn't know any better. And, and it turned into like a sensing session pretty much with the first sergeant. And then the first sergeant realized some things he did not know. And, and the bottom line is we got a new uh, maintenance supervisor during the rotation. And the other guy was sent to work at the uh, at the tactical operations center for the rest of the rotation. So, yeah, there were some things first sergeant just was not aware of at the time. And, and once they came to light, some changes were made, but I, you know, in the military, they tell you all the time, you can't get fired and you can't quit, but them boys quit. They quit. <laughs> they quit. And I was a private. I didn't know any better. I was like, what's going on? Wait a minute. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, and yeah. I, and I, to tell you that, so I, uh, like, it sounds like the, the first one got involved and whatnot and, and took care of business. Um, but I, and I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe you can elaborate on it or not. I don't know, but I would also, because we talked about praise in public, punish in private. I would also address their quitting instead of addressing the situation with that small group too and let them know, listen, now just because you quit doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. Obviously, it got attention, but there's other ways of going about this. You know what I mean? And having that open door policy if right. if, if you know, it's needed where people can come to you and, you know, obviously we, we've talked about it before with the Kevin Cruz book that sometimes open door policy is not as effective as it should be. But I, and I think that what that does, that also helps set up the, the idea that, you know what, you can talk to me. So don't allow this bad thing to happen and then just quit on it. Is it, did, did anything like that happen at all? Yeah. 
I, you know, I don't, I don't remember. I do remember the first star wasn't now, now knowing what I know back then, I didn't know anything any better. I didn't know any better, but he wasn't stellar himself. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. He handled that situation, but he wasn't the most stellar first start I've had in my 21 years. He was a frocked uh, first start, which basically means he was a star first class for the listeners who was eligible for promotion, but they put him in a first sergeant slot or position. So they gave him the first sergeant rank, but he was still getting paid as a star first class. No, he wasn't the most stellar guy. He just, I mean, he did handle that situation ish. Um, Again, I was a private new back to the army. I was still trying to figure things out. And I had changed, like, you know, I went from a combat uh, job to a support job. So I was still trying to figure all that stuff out. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they ever addressed them actually quitting. Yeah. I know all of them got chaptered eventually you know, for other stuff, but they've all, all, all three out of four of them got chaptered. The fourth one is a, is a uh, first sergeant somewhere. Oh, wow. The one that did not put his toolbox on the back of the truck. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, I mean, um, I wanted to hit back across you. You mentioned something called frocked and um, it's funny. I've met I've met guys that have been have been frocked before and who probably deserve to start getting paid at that moment that they got pinned on and then also the mm-hmm. other side of things like you just mentioned. So uh, I just I kind of went through my two cents on there because like I sometimes I think that gets <laughs> that does get looked at in a negative light and it shouldn't be. Um, but some people and then others you're like eh, I don't know but yeah so uh, but that's hey man things are what they are and. Uh, to, to address the situation. Obviously those guys probably thought what they did was right at the moment, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of just quitting, but I am a fan of, Hey, yeah. bring it up. Let's talk about this. Let's get this straightened out. Yeah. Well, Brian, uh, we got a so question we, to consider. We, we do have a, a question to consider. Do my team members get the impression that I cover their back? Mm. Do my team members? I, I think it's important too. That that's trust. That's trust, dude. Because that that's where that comes from, right? Yes. And I think that's when we talked about building a yes. family within your organization. Uh, that's where that trust starts. So, that's a good question to consider. Though, do my team members get the impression that I cover their back? We're not talking about cover their back like they did something wrong and you help cover it up. No. But we're talking more like, yeah, we're talking more like cover their back as in. You know, a today, Brian, you know, one of his children sick. He had to take the child to the doctor. I can pick up Brian slack for the day, mm-hmm. something similar to that. You know, do they does Brian trust it because he's not there? The job's going to get done. Um, you know, th- those are the type of things we're talking about. We're not talking about covering up the fact that you stole uh, monitor, <laughs> a, a computer monitor from work. We're not talking about that. Yeah. Um, so. Let's uh let's go back and we're, we're going to look back at these questions to consider because this week, audience, your task is simple yet difficult. All right, and here's what it is: I want you to read through these questions because I'm going to have them posted one through ten um, on the closed Facebook group page, which you can which can be found at one zero one influence. If you're not a part of it, go there, answer the questions. Uh, and be a part of where it says visit group. You click on it and answer the questions, become a part of it. But if you are a part of it, then you already know how it works out. You're going to go there. You're going to read the questions and you're going to do some self-talk because he talks about it in here. Do a little bit of self-talk 
And you're going to answer those questions individually to yourself. Now, you can talk to somebody about them if you want. But once it, once you've completed all 10 of them, then all we want from you is a little thumbs up or, or any type of emoji that you think represents uh, how you fe- felt about those questions once you've completed them. So you're going to go through there. And here are the 10 questions one more time just to kind of reiterate. Do I have a fragrance of negativity or positivity? Number two, am I visible enough for my people? Number three, what small step can I take towards greater self-discipline? Number four, do I sometimes unnecessarily delay decision-making because of over-contemplation? Number five, am I bound down by work that others can do if I empowered them enough? Number six, do I shine the light enough on team members who accomplish goals? Number seven, Am I willing to take ownership of problems or do I tend to shift responsibility or blame to someone else? Number eight, do I think other people would consider me a good listener? Number nine, what one more thing can I do to improve the situation? And then number 10, do my team members get the impression that I cover their back? So there they are. There's the 10, Ed. Well, over the past two shows, we just went over 10 areas where we talked about how more on leadership and then just the different lessons learned through all all the quotes that were given. Um, do you have any final thoughts on any of this, Ed? Yeah, I really enjoyed the leadership lessons offered by Colonel Hal Moore, the legendary leader from America's first team, the first cavalry division. Uh, and then it's so much more to how more than just these questions. So I would encourage our listeners to, if you have not read the book, we were soldiers once and young, I would, I would read it. I know you've probably seen the movie with uh, Mel Gibson portraying how more and uh, Sam Elliott portraying the great star major Plumley. But I would, I would read the book. The book is a lot better than the movie and the movie is good. Uh, also, the book about Hal Moore's life, A Soldier Once and Always. There's some opportunities out there. And then this book, The Leadership Lessons of Hal Moore. So those are the things I would encourage our listeners to to look into and learn more about Hal Moore. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot is reading and learning from those things. And don't shy away just because it's a military leader. There are lessons there. And, and you being the creative and critical thinker that I know the instinctive influencers are, you can take those military lessons learned and you can flip them and make them make sense in your organization, whether it be working at, at the local McDonald's or some Fortune 500 company. Um, you can make it make sense to your situation and hopefully it'll help you. Wow, Ed, that's one heck of a way to kind of round out these two shows, man. I, I, I couldn't add anything to that to make it sound any better. So thanks, brother. With that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.